Hi, everyone, and welcome to Talent Talks. I'm Rob Adams, and today we are excited to be joined by Jack Saxton, director of Tempting Talent. Tempting Talent recently conducted a survey on compensation for executive recruiting and have released a report showcasing the data they obtained from the survey. Today, Mr. Saxton will join us to share the findings of that survey and report. He will also share how compensation differs between genders and in the UK versus the US. Jack, so great to see you. Welcome to the show. Hi, and thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Well, we appreciate you taking time out of your day to join the show, and we know you're excited to share the findings. Let's dive right in. What results did your survey provide you with regarding how women are compensated compared to men in executive search and recruitment? Sure. So I guess just for context, we surveyed um, in the end 450 um, respondents all in America um, across executive search and the recruitment or the staffing industry. Um, and so the re- results that came back um, as it relates to uh, parity and gender pay um, between men and, and, and women um, show that there is actually quite a stark difference still um, in the industry. So we, sat, we found a 15% um, average pay gap, um, and that's in total compensation, so base salary and um, any bonus or um, commission payments. Um, so, you know, the average for, for all of the men that we um, uh, that responded to the survey was $106,000 um, per year, and for women was $90,000 per, per year. So we saw a real, um, yeah, still a 15% gap um, uh, on average across the, the industry, um, which uh, is, is still pretty stark, I think, and, um, you know, so it shows that there's some way to go in terms of, um, you know, how we're compensating across genders in, in the industry. I, I guess just to note as well, um, you know, from a diversity perspective, the um, gender uh, field on, on the survey was a text field, so people could put whatever gender they, they wanted to. The only respondents that we, we got back, all of them um, either selected male or female, so we had no respondents that, that responded in any other um, in any other way. You know, the the gender pay gap is so fascinating and obviously troubling, but to that extent, how was that impacted by experience and performance level? Sure. So, um, and I guess these are two, you know, they can, in the, um, at the top level, they can sound similar, but um, as you'll be aware, and I guess some of your listeners will be aware, um, you can have someone with two years experience performing 10 times better than someone with 10 years experience. So we we um, dissected the data both ways. Um, and, you know, what we found, obviously, you know, matched by those those average numbers, I, um, I said, was, you know, it, it kind of working out worse for, for women who responded to, to the survey. But um, I guess where it was most, you know, start the, the difference um, was at the you know 11 plus years experience level. So these are people in you know the recruitment and executive search industry in America with over 11 years experience. Um, we found a 41 percent uh, total compensation pay gap, um, and you know that it compares to a 23 percent um, pay gap between the 1.5 million and 3 million dollar billing range. So. What I'm saying is, and, and what the data is showing, is that um, as years of experience increase, the pay gap increases. 
And likewise, um, overall, but to a lesser extent, um, as performance levels increase, um, the pay gap also increases, but to a lesser extent than it does by years experience. Um, the only part of the market which we you know, saw some parity um, in, in, in the gender pay gap was at the kind of mid, um, I I'd call it, you know, the middle um, performance level. So around $750,000 um, to $1 million in annual revenue for the, for the consultant. Um, it, there was pretty even pay as, as it relates to base salary and total compensation. But, at, um, you know, both the lower billing and the higher billing levels, um, the, the pay gap looked to increase. Again, and, and numbers really fascinate me. So let's dive in a little deeper. What did your survey results tell you about the cost of living versus total compensation for executive search and recruitment? And I'll add a few more to that. What city stood out and what surprised you? Sure. And that's a great question. And, and actually, um, in terms of all of the data, this is the first year we've done this survey. It's the biggest survey of its kind, I, I believe, ever. Um, you know, conducted um, not just in the States, but um, it, globally. Um, out of all the questions, this was the one which we've had most feedback and, um, you know, interest in um, because, um, you know, one, obviously a lot of businesses looking at remote working or new locations as to, you know, how they are compensating staff, whether they, um, as you've, you know, seen some companies, uh, Salesforce, I believe, said they're going to compensate their staff, you know, remotely as, as though they're in San Francisco and things. And, um, you know, this is adding a lot of um, interesting conversations to, you know, how businesses, where businesses base themselves and how they compensate their, their staff. Some interest. So we've had a lot of questions about it. Some interesting data that came um, out, uh, out was that, you know, not surprisingly, um, New York and San Francisco, um, had the worst kind of ratio in terms of total compensation um, to cost of living. Um, and, you know, it's often, I think, well, especially in New York, somewhere where people go and start their, um, you know, start their careers. I think we're certainly struggling to find now, um, you know, experienced recruiters five years plus wanting to locate, relocate now to New York. So I think, you know, that speaks to the level of, um, uh, you know, the level of the, the workforce in, in New York. Um, and so, you know, those were unsurprisingly the, you know, the two with the, the worst ratios, the two with the best ratios, the first one, Houston, um, you know, and, uh, you know, people will know that the cost of living in, in Houston is, um, is, is, you know, is pretty good. Um, now, in terms of actually recruiting an executive search market, you know, there is um, historically they've been quite focused on the energy and um, you know, engineering sectors. Um, but we're really seeing now an uptick, um, you know, especially with the more remote working in, um, you know, technology biz re recruitment and executive search businesses opening up in, um, in in Houston. And so I guess markets diversifying and, and we're seeing that across all markets. So it clearly stands out um, as the you know number one um, location where we, you know, came, the average respondent in Houston was being paid two hundred and nine thousand dollars. Um, and, you know, the ratio of that compared to the cost of living index, um, was, you know, was the best. The second was Los Angeles. Um, now, you know, obviously Los Angeles, it, it, actually the, the highest take-home pays um, in America that we, um, you know, from the, the respondents of the survey, we're in Los Angeles. Obviously the cost of living is, you know, still not as low as Houston, um, but, and, you know, certainly we find this from qualitative research that we've done as well. Um, you've got, you know, all the recruiters and, and search professionals recruiting into the Bay Area, et cetera, you know, but maybe living a little bit more um, 
remotely or you know living in other places in in Los Angeles um you know this but having access to San Francisco etc you know has um you know probably the reason why we're, we're seeing this I think what is actually you know and you mentioned the last part of your question which is is there any outliers or you know where are um you know what where the interesting parts of the data I think what we're seeing in Austin is you know there's a massive uptick in industry in Austin as a lot of people will will know um but I think it's actually that there's a lot of recruiting businesses flooding into Austin at the same time and there's also a lot of businesses operating in the Austin market from outside of Austin um and so the it actually scored pretty low um on this and I, I think that's because the recruiting market in Austin is not as developed um uh, you know there's a really fast growth technology market which is driving cost of living um you know up in terms of house prices and things um but there's been a big flood of recruiters into Austin and maybe they're not quite <laughs> um you know caught up yet or developed enough as as businesses to be able to that match the take-home pay so that scored pretty low uh, you know low on the the list for us I'm I'm like stunned about Los Angeles and a little bit about Houston as well. Very interesting uh, information coming out there, Jack. I, I'm I'm fascinated by all of it. How is compensation evolving for recruiters, and how will more incentive-based compensation structures impact recruiters and their total compensation? Sure, and and again, you know, this is something which is um, really the talk of the industry. You know, at the moment, I think. You've seen, you know, especially some of the big search firms restructuring quite heavily during the, the pandemic and, and looking at their, um, you know, their product and service offerings, you know, whether they are using offshore you know, research and recruiting teams, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, really, I think the best way to answer this question is the, the compensation structures are evolving with the operating models of the executive search and recruiting businesses. So if you look at some of the, what I mean by that is if you look at some of the, um, you know, larger search firms who are really trying to productize their offering, um, you know, into platform-based offerings, et cetera, they're changing their compensation structures to incentivize, um, you know, it more in like a technology company or a SaaS company might do um, where they, you know, the, the actual revenue that's coming in from their services is, is structured in a different um, in a different way. Um, and so I think that's one thing that you're, um, you know, you're really seeing at the moment. Um, you know, the traditional, and obviously I'm from the UK, where um, draw structures aren't, you know, so much of a big thing here. But in America, you know, the traditional sales model and the traditional recruiting model is that, you know, is a, is a you know, go out and win business and you'll get paid a lot on that, on that business. But if you don't bring any business, then, uh, then we won't pay you. But, um, I, you know, I think what's interesting about the draw structure is it, it's, offer, it's obviously offering still the highest percentages um, in, in terms of commission payouts, et cetera. Um, but I think where, you know, it, it, some, and in some businesses, that's great. As long as they're still investing in new products, marketing business infrastructure and operating models there are some you know more traditional american businesses which are not investing as heavily in those things and still trying to win um you know talent on percentage points of commission structures and i think you know if we look at our clients that are attracting the best talent they're not doing that because they're paying out 55 percent or 60 percent on you know in a draw structure some of them are paying out you know one of our key clients 
pays out around 33%, but they really, you know, they've, they're acquiring technology platforms, they're bringing AI into their recruiting process and all of these things, uh, which allow recruiters to earn more money by selling more interesting products, which is actually the work that they want to do. Um, you know, these companies are securing some of the best talent. And, and I think that's an important uh, you know, point to make here is uh, it's not always the, the, the highest commission structure that wins the best you know, candidate at the end of the day. I think it's the companies that are innovating and that, and that you know, recruiters are able to, so much of their identity is in what they're actually going out and selling every day. And if they can go out and sell something which they find exciting and interesting, um, you know, for them, they'd maybe rather earn a little bit less or they're more motivated to sell more um, you know, if the product's more interesting. So I think that's how we're seeing compensation structures, um, you know, certainly change. Um, and, and I guess the last thing to say on that is, again, you know, driven a little bit by the pandemic, I think we're seeing um, an increase in specialization from contingent uh, businesses that are doing more contained work, but within their, within their vertical niches, whether that's, you know, biotechnology or functional programming or whatever it might be, you know, and coming up more and more against search firms. And, and that's, you know, at the same time as the search firms are trying to productize their offering, the, you know, the contingent firms are moving a lot more towards contained and engaged, um, engaged business. So I think what that means for compensation structures between recruitment and executive search firms is that, um, you know, they're kind of merging in the way that they operate um, from, a, you know, pay, payout ratios and bonuses and things when there was probably a bit more disparity before um, you know, beforehand, but yeah, certainly with the increasing levels of specialization, I, I, I think um, we'll only see that increase and, you know, specialist contingent firms really rubbing up more and more against, um, you know, search business when they are specializing in a, in a really vertical niche area. Jack, as uh, you highlighted, you're in the UK, so it begs the question, what were some of the key differences between the UK and the US that you noticed? Yeah, sure. And I, I guess, um, yeah, I guess to just to clarify again, so we only operate in the American, I'm based in London, but we only operate in the American market now. But, you know, initially that was supporting a lot of British firms moving across to the States. Um, you know, that's what I've done for 10 years is, is help British businesses expand internationally, first in, in Asia and now, you know, specifically in the States. And, um, uh, you know, what there's definitely pros and cons to operating models of and i don't want to generalize again here because there's not one way of doing things for british businesses and one way of doing things for american businesses but i think where you know there's certainly strengths um and to generalize a little bit i guess in both operating <laughs> models is um is you know the, the uk businesses what, what they do really well is you know candidate driven deep specialization Perm recruitment. So they find markets where, you know, there is a real, real demand and lack of supply of, you know, highly qualified candidates, whether that's in technology, life sciences, you know, the average fee sizes will be 30 to 60,000, um, you know, and, and often more. Um, and, you know, they will focus on real, real specialization within those markets. So they own, you know, the 400 best functional programmers in you know, rally North Carolina, whatever it might be. And, and they will use that as the product to go to market. That's what they do really well. And, and you've seen, you know, the likes of Frank group and the Faden internationals scale to, you know, massive, um, you know, hundreds and uh, nearly thousands of employees in the States 
pretty much just using this operating model. And I think it's certainly, um, you know, caught the eye of uh, quite a few American businesses um, who traditionally, you know, come from the world of, you know, we are service-led, client-led businesses offering solutions to our to our clients. Um, and, you know, oftentimes that means that the contract sizes with their clients, you know, will go into the millions of, of dollars and they'll have 10, 15-year relationships. Um, but then they might not be able to find the, you know, $350,000 data scientist where there's only five people in America who can do the job. And I think this is where the two models are complementing each other well, but there also is a lot of room to learn from each other um, because, um, you know, at the end of the day, the British businesses want to move to, you know, multi-million dollar contracts and the, you know, American businesses want to be able to fill highly, highly specialised, um, you know, business. Um, and so, you know, I'd say they're the main, um, they're the main differences. But I think the, the other thing, just to go back to pay, um, is, you know, I don't know a British business that pays out more than kind of 40% total, you know, total uh, payout ratio, which to some of the American businesses, especially the ones, you know, with four or 500 <laughs> staff um, will be a surprise. Um, but, you know, they are very good at hiring and training graduates. Uh, they're very good at talent attraction or, you know, they've, because they've had to compete so much harder in the UK for, for, for talents. They know they're very slick interview processes. And um, yeah, I guess the thing to reiterate is, you know, it's not all down to the last percentage point of what someone's going to take home in their commission structure. If someone else is pitching that they can bill double by selling this other product, um, because then, you know, it doesn't matter if they're taking home 10 percentage points less on their, their you know, their total pay. So I, I think that's the one consideration where, you know, um, but both parties are looking at each other and how they can, again, learn from, you know, from from different structures. And um, but I think there'll still be some way to go in terms of, you know, those kind of merging um, you know, into a, a, a similar way of, of, of paying, um, especially the top performing talent in the recruiting and executive search industry. Jack, as we begin to wind things up, I'm curious, how do we get our hands on this report? Let's see it. Sure. Well, um, yeah, sure. There'll be a, um, there should be a link in the, uh, there should be a link in the, the podcast um, text and underneath. So um, that will send you to our, our website. It's temptingtalent.com forward slash compensation hyphen report so that's temptingtalent.com forward slash compensation hyphen report um and yeah that'll give you a link to to download um the i think it's 25 page um, compensation report it covers um you know the things that we've discussed um but the other things it covers are uh compensation specific and performance specific to markets so um we actually operate in three core markets, um, life sciences and healthcare, technology and engineering, financial and professional services. Um, you know, we've split the data across all of those markets. So, you know, you'll see um, on there how uh, other industries are paying and, and performing. Um, and the other thing that we haven't covered is, as well um, is, you know, benefits, um, especially, you know, working from home, et cetera, which is something which is, you know, changing at the, the moment. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's, it's really interesting information there about, um, you know, how we're transitioning into this new way of uh, new way of working and kind of still working out. <laughs> a lot of businesses still working out how to do it as they as they go on. Well, I, 
I got to tell you, I think the dating, the, the, the data and the findings from the survey are incredibly insightful and valuable, especially since this data was not readily available. It will be interesting to see how this compensation structure evolves going forward and how the gender gap is impacted. Jack, I, re- I really enjoyed it. We, we really appreciate you coming on the show to share more on your survey and the report. I thought this was great. Thanks so much, Ian. If anyone would like to connect, just Jack Saxton, Tent and Talent on LinkedIn. And, um, you know, drop me a note and happy to have a chat through any of the data in more detail if, uh, if you'd like. But thanks so much for your time. Oh, it's our pleasure. That's all the time we have here today. I'm your host, Rob Adams, alongside Jack Saxton, Director of Tempting Talent. And this has been another episode of Talent Talks. Talent Talks.